All right. We're going to read uh, today from Luke uh, chapter 5. If you got a Bible, you could open that, or you could just look at the screen. Verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us uh, today. I believe that there are things that you want to speak uh, into our lives, things that you want to uh, break off of us, uh, things that you want to free us into, uh, and uh, things that you want us to walk in just as a matter of obedience. And so uh, I pray that we would just give you room today to do in us what you want to do and to say to us what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So would, would you all... Would you be surprised if I said to you that the world was full of people who needed God? No surprises. Uh, the world is full of people who need God, but also the world is full of people who are actually looking for God. They're, they're seeking God. Now, the problem, part of the problem with that is that a lot of them don't know that that's what or who they're looking for. Uh, now, the good news that you need to understand and that we're trying to grasp today is that Many of these people who are seeking God, who want to know him, who, who need someone or something that can bring purpose and meaning into their lives, uh, many of them you work with, uh, many of them live in your neighborhoods, they're, they're your neighbors, maybe they're your next door neighbors, many of them you, know, you play with, have recreation with, and in fact, some of them you live with. There are probably some who live in your house. Uh, who are looking for God. Uh, people are looking everywhere for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for something that is worth giving their lives to, something that would make a significant difference so that life would become more than just work hard and then die. Uh, nobody wants it to be that. And that's actually a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation because if they find God, it will make life better for them. But guess what else? If they find God, it will make life better for you, 
right? I mean, if they're your neighbors or your coworkers or your family members, if they find God, it's going to make life better for you. Now, the worst thing about the theology of man's depravity, you know what the theology of man's depravity is? Basically, in a nutshell, it is that we're wicked to the core. Do you know what the worst thing about that, that theology is? It's true. That's the worst part of it, is that it's true. We're born in sin. And so without Jesus, none of us can be good, right? Uh, G.K. Chesterton is a famous uh, writer, and he wrote in response to an article in the London Times. It was an article in the London Times. The title of the article was, What's Wrong with the World? And Chesterton answered, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Because the human heart is wicked. And, and none of us, none of us are free of that condition apart from Jesus. Uh, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now, when it comes to sin, you can try to train sin. Right? Anybody ever tried that? Just try to train sin. I had a friend who tried to train sin. Actually, he tried, he had a plan for, he, he believed that if he could go a day without sinning, it would prove to him that he could go also a week without sinning. If he could go a week without sinning, he could maybe do a month. If he could do a month, he could do a year. You see the pattern. So he's really, he's looking for a plan to eliminate sin. From his life. And so what he did first was he decided, okay, where can I go where I won't interact with people? Because he realized, you know, that, that was the big problem right there was the people. And so he decided, I'm going to go to the movie theater and I'm going to sit by myself and I'm, and I'm, I'm just going to stay as long as I can stay I'll watch the movie as many times as I need to watch it, but I'm going to spend as much time as I can alone in the darkness of this movie theater, and that will give me a good jump, you know, a good head start on not sinning that day. And so he goes in and he sits down, and he finds a quiet place over in a corner, and pretty soon before the movie even starts, a lady with big hair comes and sits right in front of him. <laughs> And he finds himself, the movie hasn't even started yet, and he's already mad at this lady for sitting in front of him and obstructing his view. And so he realizes this plan's not going to work. The human heart is wicked, and you can't train it to be righteous. Now, what, another thing you can do is make you, to make, make you feel better is you can look for somebody who's worse than you. If you can't eliminate sin from your life, then you can just find somebody who's worse than you, and that'll make you feel better, right? So years ago, there was a man who was in organized crime. He had a brother who died, and he wanted his brother to have a proper funeral. And so he went to the local priest, and he asked his priest. I will, he, he said to the priest, I will pay you a large sum of money if you will do my brother's funeral, and in the eulogy, say that my brother was a saint. And so the priest got up on the day 
of the funeral and he said, the man in this coffin was a vile, debauched man. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a manipulator, a reprobate, and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes, careers, and lives of countless people in this city, some of whom are here today. This man did every dirty, rotten, wicked thing imaginable, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) So you can compare yourself to other people, maybe feel a little bit better about yourself, or you can blame other people. You can blame other people for your sins. Anna Russell wrote this, at three, I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, and so it follows naturally, I poisoned all my lovers. But now I'm happy I have learned the lesson this has taught, that everything I do wrong is someone else's fault. Some of us live that way, and and that maybe if you can blame other people, that might make you feel a little bit better, but, but honestly, truly, the only solution to sin is the cross. I was sitting in my office one day, young man comes in, college student, and he had been sent there by the Christian girls that lived in the apartment next to him. And uh, he said, I, I was told I needed to come and talk to you. And I said, okay, you know, what do we need to talk about? And he said, well, I'm assuming that they want me to talk to you about my lifestyle. And I said, well, tell me about your lifestyle. And he shares with me his lifestyle. And guess what? He was right. He needed to talk to me about his lifestyle. It was horrible. And so I started to share the gospel with him. And at one point, I actually took a piece of paper like this, And I put it on my hand, and I said, this is you, this is sin, and this is God. And I said, the problem with your life is that you're separated from God by your sin. Sometimes you're far away, sometimes you might feel close, but you're still separated from God by your sin. He stood up in his chair, pointed his finger at this piece of paper and said, that's my problem right there, sin. If somebody could do something about sin, I would be fine. And I said, brother, I have got good news for you. So the bottom line is that only Jesus can remove sin. Uh, Sin is like a dragon that has to be killed. And Jesus took it to the cross, and it died there with him. A relationship with God is the only means to lasting and fulfilling peace. It's the only way to have a life that has meaning and purpose because in relationship with God is the only way to effectively deal with the sin issue. Now, I do believe that most of the world, if not all of the world, is looking for God. The problem is that most of them don't know it. They don't know that he is, is who they're looking for. Now, what we're going to talk about today 
from Luke chapter 5 are some things that you and I can do to help them. You've heard me say before that the key to life for us as believers is to listen to God and do what he says. And then also, I would add to that, listen to God and do what he said. Not just what he says, but what he said. Because there are things that he has said in Scripture that are still in play. And one of the clearest things that he ever said was go and make disciples. Uh, As he's speaking to Peter and the others in the boat this day, he says, from now on, fish for people. Go and make disciples. So here are just some basic things. I'm going to give you five keys to catching and keeping. Five keys. Key number one, if you want to be a fisher of people, key number one is that Jesus has to be the captain of your boat. Jesus has to be the captain of your boat. Peter had to let Jesus be in charge if they were going to make a catch. Peter knew more about fishing, really, in, the, in their context as fishermen than Jesus did, at least Peter thought. Peter believed himself to be an expert when it came to fishing, Jesus says, let's go fishing. Peter says, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And in fact, nighttime is the best time to fish. This is the heat of the day. We're not going to catch anything. All the fish are down on the bottom of the the sea. It's impossible. This is a bad idea. But then Peter says this, but because you say so, I'll do it. That's one of the most important phrases that we can learn from Peter. Because you say so, I will do it. So Peter recognizes that Jesus is not the co-captain of the, of the boat. He's the captain of the boat. Y'all remember those little bumper stickers and uh, bumper tags that used to say, God is my co-pilot? Horrible idea. God is in charge, and the first thing that has to happen is Jesus has to be made the captain of your boat. And so one of the questions that you need to ask yourself is, are there, peop- are there things in my life that need to be surrendered? Are there things in my life that need to be surrendered? Second thing is that you need to accept God's invitation into the deep. Jesus says to the disciples, let's, let's go out deeper. God is calling all of us into a deeper place with him. And if we want to be effective, if we want to be effective in advancing the kingdom of God, we have to be willing to say yes to his invitation into the deep. We can't say, Lord, you've gone out there into the deep. I'm going to stay right here in the shallow water. I really like the water when it's right around my ankles, maybe my shins. Because he's calling us actually to get into a place where the water is over our heads. Because as long as you can stand on your own two feet, you really don't need God that much, do you? But if you get into a place where the water is over your head, that's where you realize, I have to depend on him. I can't do this. 
So accept his invitation into the deep, getting into the place where it's over your head, getting into a place where you are trusting in his power, not your ability. If, if you think you're a good communicator and you can just influence people and you can convince people to follow God just because you're good at articulating, go for it, but you're going to fail because this thing was set up, this evangelism was set up with one thing in mind, that the key that turns the lock is the power of God. And that's why Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. Not before. Not before. So, number two, accept the invitation into the deep. Accept the Holy Spirit's power into your life. Number three, throw your nets when and where Jesus says. I said before, Jesus says, let's go out and throw our nets. Peter says, it's a bad idea. It's a bad time. Jesus says, let's do it now. Peter says, because you say to, I will. There's no replacement. There's no substitute for obedience. Throwing the net where Jesus says to throw it. Throwing the net when Jesus says to throw it. One of the, one of the mistakes we make is we make a plan and we ask God to bless our plan. God has a plan that he's already blessed if we will do it. If we will do what he says when he says it. Now, the fourth thing I'll mention is throw your nets where you see activity. If you've ever used a, a, bait, a casting net to catch bait fish, you know it's a pretty simple process. You look around, you find, you see where the fish are moving around, and you just throw a net over them. Well, ask God to show you what he's doing. Ask God to show you where, where he's moving in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the area where you frequent. Ask God, what are you doing here? I had a friend who went to a pastor's meeting. That's actually Mark Nicewander. Many of you know him. Mark walked into a pastor's meeting. And he said, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? And Holy Spirit spoke back to him, not much. What are you doing here? <laughs> so if you walk into a place and you say, God, what are you doing here? And he says, not much. Go to another place and ask God, you know, take me to a place where you're moving. I want to see what you're doing. I want to be involved in what you're doing. So throw your nets where you see activity. And then the fifth thing is before you throw the net, Make sure you have a solid foundation. I don't know if you've ever tried to throw a casting net off a boat. I can promise you that if you don't have a good foundation, if you're not, you know, feet spread apart, kind of solid, this could turn out very badly for you. Uh, the last thing you need to do is try to throw a net standing on the, a boat with an unshaky foundation. You may find yourself... Uh, deep sea diving. Get a good, firm foundation. What is the good, firm foundation for evangelism? 
Many would say quickly, well, you know, you gotta memorize as much scripture as you can. Hey, memorize scripture. If you wanna memorize scripture, that's great. Memorize scripture, there's not a thing wrong with memorizing scripture. Some of you would say, well, you know, I need to read all the books I can on apologetics. I need no apologetics. I need to be squared up on apologetics. And I, I like apologetics. If you want to study apologetics, that's fine. But neither of those really are the key to having a firm foundation. Your, your foundation for evangelism is laid in prayer. You have to become a person of prayer. If you are not a person of prayer, you will not recognize God's voice. You will not know when to go there, when to go there. You will not know when to throw this net, when to throw that net. You will not know what to do. You will not be filled with the power of God. And you'll go out and try to do it on your own. So here's what we're gonna do the rest of today. I want you to get into groups your favorite thing to do. Once you get into groups of four, uh, no less than four, no more than six, okay? And there are gonna be some talking points and prayer points on the screen. I want you to work through them. And they basically are the things that we just talked about, okay? So they'll be up there. Why don't y'all go ahead and throw them up on the screen. And uh, so y'all, I'm gonna do like this, and that means get up and move to your group, okay? So y'all get, y'all get going here. So groups of four or six, and here's what you're doing. Are there things that I need to surrender? Is there power I need to receive? Are there people I need to love? Is there obedience I need to walk in, okay? I want you to just work your way through those four things. And pray, talk and pray, okay? Don't just talk, don't just pray, talk and pray. Got it?